Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip, you ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new, you rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation, this is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Yes, guys, I'm Sai. Welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. We're here for another episode of My Story. We're into season four now, can you believe? And uh, it's going to be another really, really fascinating show. We've been blessed with uh, some incredible guests over the last four seasons, particularly this this season four has got off to a, a very, very strong start. Been very excited to, uh, to chat to different people from different sports, different industries, and uh, just hear their story shine a light on their talent, as it were. Uh, as always, please do sign up to patreon.com slash acepodcastnation, where you get to watch uh, recorded shows like this live. And also you get a load of other bonus content, bonus shows, exclusive shows, things like that. Outtakes are coming as well. So uh, you get lots of free stuff. There's only a couple of pounds and it supports the channel, keeps us going. Subscribe, youtube.com in the usual place, Ace Podcast Nation and uh, audio podcasts of course available at the sports social podcast network uh, all the shows are available there audio download so uh, i am delighted to welcome this evening or to this episode should i say uh, she is a watford ladies fc uh, wales uh, also played for tottenham i'm gonna ask which i can ask you about that now but uh, it's morgan rogers uh, welcome to the show how are you i'm good thanks for having me um, so my first question, very quickly, is uh, I was going to ask you. I noticed, so you'd you have to forgive my ignorance, I guess, in some ways. Um, I noticed in the news stories, which is where you, where you joined Watford, uh, it said that you got a dual contract. Uh, so you came from Tottenham. Does that mean you're signed to both clubs? Uh, so last year I signed for Spurs under twenty ones, um, so right. one of the academy teams, and then it got to Christmas time, and Watford made an approach um, at the time they were in the Championship for me to go and play with them and. Um, I had a discussion with the coaches. They thought it would be a good decision. So um, I took that as a dual signing move, which is technically a loan. 
Um, but this season going forward, I'm with Watford permanently, so I'm no longer with Spurs, I'm just with Watford permanently going forward. Got you. Got you. So basically the dual the, the dual sign in is effectively what a loan deal is. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a loan move basically. Oh cool. Right, that's quite cool. Um so before we get really stuck into kind of you and your career and your story, um, I wanted to talk because women's football has been a hot topic, obviously, in these last couple of weeks as we record this. Uh, the Euros have not long finished. Obviously, um, England won the Euros. So, as a Welshman, I had mixed feelings for this. So, I was very happy to see women's football get a light shined on it, you know, um, a lot of women's football on the TV, like big crowds, big stadiums. Everyone was talking about it, all the rest of it. Um, you know, I got a few friends who are ladies footballers around the the UK, and also uh, obviously Andy Campbell, who I used to do the show with, um, is the manager of Middlesbrough ladies team. So we have got foot inside that sort of world, but I confess that I don't follow it as closely as, as men's football, but I was excited to see, you know, the, the buzz for it all. And I hope that that takes the next step. But how did you feel? Cause you must've been similar. You must've been happy that it got, was getting the attention that it was getting, but also Welsh English. Yeah. I mean, um, I was lucky enough. I actually had tickets to go to the final. So I oh, actually got to go and watch the final, but um as much as it was hard as a Welsh person watching England win, um, I think it's only going to do great things for the game in the UK. Um, and it was lovely to go there and see so many young girls there watching the game, um, which is something as a kid I didn't have. So it's nice now that kids can go to these sort of places and watch games um, live. And obviously with them winning, it was a bonus. But um, it was just lovely to see so many young girls there all supporting women's football. Yeah, it was amazing to see all those uh, all the girls there. Like that was one of the things I said to my wife as we were watching it. Like it was so many, and it was clear that they were just so happy to be there, so excited. And that's what you need is you need the kids to be invested because they're the next generation. They're the ones who are going to build the game, you know, from grassroots level. Um, and then on the on our football show the next day or the Thursday after the after the final, um, I had a bit. What someone told me, I had a bit of a rant. But I, it wasn't meant as a rant. So basically, my point was um, there had been some people on Talk Sport saying, uh, you know, women should get paid the same as men's footballers, and broadcasters should pay the same as what they pay the Premier League and and the Champions League. And my point was, um, at this moment in time, you can't do that because they don't bring in the same uh, interest and audience and things like this and sponsors and whatever it may be. Um, that's obviously where we all want it to go. But at this present time, you cannot demand that from, you know, Sky, whatever it may be. And my, I then kind of followed that point on with the way to do it is to work on grassroots levels. Like, I don't know what it's like in England, but in Wales, a lot of girls, they play for, they have to play for boys teams because there's not very many girls teams around. And I think that's a good starting point. Obviously, um, the girls who were particularly good, they get picked up by Cardiff and Swansea and the rest of it. But, like, I'm interested in your point of view from, from that, like, just from my points there and also then sort of going into the, the grassroots side of it. Um, I think people have got to be realistic. 
look, ideally in an ideal world, women would be getting the same as men, getting the same pay, getting treated the same, everything. But you've got to be realistic about the situation we're in and it's not going to be like that for a while um, because just we haven't got the same following as the men have got. There's no resources. There's not as much resources as the men has got. Um, you look at uh, sponsorship, there's not as much sponsorship in the game as the men have got. And I think it's important for people to remember as well not to compare the two games because I think the style of play, everything is completely different between men's and football, women's football. So I think that I this gets brought up to me quite a lot where people are like, oh, but they should be on the same money and what and but people have got to be realistic and it's a it's a completely different game. The two games are completely different. I think people have got to remember that when they're comparing them. Um, for example, you wouldn't compare women's gymnastics to men's gymnastics because they're completely different. I think you've got to remember that when you're comparing women's and men's sports, not just in football, but in sports in general. Um, and then in terms of the grassroots thing in Wales, I think as coming from Wales myself, I started out in a boys team and then went had to make the switch because that was the rule at the time that at 12 you had to make a switch to a girls team. Um, but for me personally, I think I was better off at the time for playing in a boys team because there was nothing for girls and I just had to be playing, which I think obviously worked in my situation. I will say now, I think there's been a lot more investment in Wales in the game. And mm -hmm. I think that there are now a lot more grassroots teams for girls. I think our recent campaign we've been on in the World Cup qualifying campaign with our two last games coming up now in um, September, I think that's, that's grown the game massively in the last year. Um, and I think there's been a lot of teams formed based off that. Um, however, I think people also need to look at the top top level of the game in Wales. And I think um, you've got the Welsh Premier League, which is a great place for girls to play. But I think if you want to make it professional, there's no professional team in Wales. So, for example, someone like me, I've had to move to England to pursue that dream of being a professional player because there is no professional team in Wales. I think um, that's the next step step the FA are going to have to take but I think that again is going to take a while I think people have got to be realistic in the way the game is and I think that is just going to take a while with the way things are at the minute but I'd like to think that in the future that is something that will be implemented in Wales and um, hopefully the, it will grow the game even more in Wales but also like they can sort of follow in the footsteps of England in the way they've done it as well. Yeah absolutely I think what people need to remember as well is um the the men's game has got a massive head start on where it is in its evolution compared to the the women's game, and uh, that's unfortunately is just a fact of you know a fact of the way things have developed over his history. So there's a big head start there, and I think you know things are going in the right direction. Um, I've been happy to see the development of the Welsh or the development and the improvement of support and stuff for the women's Welsh team. And I think obviously the success of the men's Welsh team has helped with that and the under 21s and things like that, because people get used to going to and supporting Wales and they want to, you know, they want to branch out and watch as many Welsh teams as possible. And it's the same for the younger teams as well. I know the, the 19s and the 21s have experienced, you know, bigger crowds as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, isn't it, that, that there's no professional women's team in, in Wales at the moment. And obviously, hopefully, we'd like to think that that will be, you know, something in the not too distant future. Um, I know 
they recently changed the rules, didn't they? So the rule you mentioned where it used to be once you went to high school, you girls could no longer play in the boys' teams. Um, and, you know, there's obvious reasons why that rule was there. But it also caused, I think, problems for, for girls, particularly maybe a few years back where there just wasn't girls' teams, really, or certainly wasn't enough girls' teams to, to play. And the standard then, like you say, like by playing in the boys' teams, I'm sure you came up against, you know, I've seen some of the boys that my 13-year-old's has got in his team and he plays against some of them are massive like they're bigger than me and um so obviously that would have improved you from a strength and technical point of view do you um i don't know like do you think if you had played if the girls teams had been there from you know under sevens or whatever all the way through do you think you would have still developed at the same rate that you did or do you think playing against boys and with boys helped you with your development i will say i think it helped massively um i was lucky i hear of a lot of stories where girls have gone to boys teams and um unfortunately it does happen where i've experienced it you get comments and and situations you don't particularly want to be in as a girl um that are put in front of you but for me i went to a team with my brother at five years of age so the boys didn't see it as any different when we were growing up. It was just, I'd always been a part of a team. Um, But I think if girls try and join at a later stage where the team is already sort of formed, it's more difficult. I think for me, it was a massive benefit. I think growing up, I could always tell when I got, when I got to that 12 and I made the switch, I could tell when I was playing against girls teams, which girls had played with boys. There was just something about the players. You could tell there was a difference. Um, I think had they been girls team, I don't know whether my parents would have put me in there because I was going with my brother. So it just made sense for me to go with him. Um, it's a difficult one, but I think for me personally, it did develop me a lot quicker than I probably would have with girls because at the time, if it, if they had been girls, it probably wasn't the funding and resources around it that I would have needed. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, well, I'm sure we'll come back to this subject a bit later on in the uh, in the episode, but I do kind of want to move on more specifically to kind of you and your your career and, and things like that. Um, what I'd like to do with these episodes is what we kind of uh, do, take you back to the start. So we ask you, um, what were the, the early days? What was the the upbringing, the, the childhood like for Morgan Rogers? Um, so I grew up in um, South Wales Valleys. Um, mum, dad and my younger brother um, I think it was about age four or five and my brother was going along to a soccer skills class um, so my dad just took me along at the time um, my brother were complete opposites so my brother would just go and join in I'd stand there and cry and not want mm-hmm. to join in so my dad would have to hold my hand and do the whole session with me um, just to get me to join in but then it got to the situation in the end where you couldn't stop me from getting involved. It was just, I used to get coaches saying she's got a harder shot than the boys. It, it was just, mm. and I'd spend all my free time as a kid with a football under my arm, whether it would be on the street playing, in the back garden, I'd always be with a football. Um, dress down days in school, I'd always have kits on instead of wearing like what you typically class a girl to wear. I'd always have a football kit on, play in the yard with the boys. Um, and then my brother joined a team and I just so happened to go with him. 
because obviously I've been to the soccer school, so my dad was like, you might as well join in. So I went and joined with the team, um, played with them up until about, until 12. And then I got told I had to make the switch. Okay. So I went and joined the team. Some of my school friends, I'd just gone into comp and some of the girls had said, look, we play for a team called Abathus Aces. You might want to come and if you've got to make a switch, play with us. So age 12, 11, 12, I went and played, started playing with them. Um, and then at 12, I also got my first call up for Wales and 15s. So that was like, I had a letter through the post saying you, you sort of been, I was involved in like the regional stuff, the South Wales stuff, but then the letter came saying you've been called up to national. And we didn't really understand it at the time. And then when we sort of went to the Safari Gardens for this three-day camp, um, I then understood that I'd made it to the Wales under-15s sort of squad. Um, so I trained with them for a couple of camps and then there's a tournament called the Bob Doherty Tournament um, where you get all the home nations play against each other um, exactly. in Scotland. But um, because- Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Because of my age, I was too young, so I got told I couldn't go. So I'd been picked, but I couldn't go, which was really frustrating, as you can imagine. I had to just sort of deal with it and then hope that next year I'd be picked and I'd and then I went on to play two next years in the Bob Doc. Um or the the next year I got I got to play in it and then the year after that I injured myself still playing for Abatusug. Um so I was out for three months so I missed the second Bob Docty tournament when the under fifteens ended up winning it for the first time. Um I was made captain for that tournament and then a couple of weeks before I got injured so I was a bit gutted about that. Yeah, I'm yeah, um, but my, my family had all bought tickets to go out and watch and whatever. So we went out anyway to support the girls because we were like, what's the point in wasting the tickets? We might as well go and support the girls. Um, at 13, I got called up to the 17 squad. So I was getting into Wales groups always early, um, yeah. which obviously we didn't. My mum and dad are not from a football background, so we didn't really understand the situation at the time. But it was only reflecting good on me being called up early. Um I got to 15, I think it was, and Jane Ludlow, Wales manager at the time, said to me, um, we've taken over Cardiff City ladies, we'd like you to come and join, but you can't actually sign until you're 16. So I waited for my birthday, signed, and then went straight into senior football at 16, um, playing in the Tier 3, as you would call it, um, if you want to call it that way, it was Tier 3 National League South. Um yeah playing against teams all over London. So while my schoolmates were like on the weekends, just sort of doing what they were doing, I was traveling all over London playing teams, um, playing still for Wales 19s and sort of just sort of dipping in and out of age groups, doing, carrying on playing in tournaments for them, um, getting caps along the way sort of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it got to like the year I finished school, COVID hit. Um, which sort of put a bit of a back, like put my my journey on the back burners for a while because I was planning to make a move sooner than last year, um, yeah. but with COVID it just made it difficult. With obviously potentially moving to somewhere like London and then being stuck in my room for the for the time I'm years, it's 
it's not a nice place to be if you're stuck on your own in a new place. It's not nice. Um, so I went to University of South Wales for a year and then transferred because Spurs came in for me last again this time last year. So I thought to myself, if I don't make the move now, I'm never going to do it. So I made the jump last year to move to London. Um, so I switched unis to University of Hertfordshire, which is where I'm studying now. I've got going into my last year. Um, signed for Spurs. Was there a week? Made my debut against Arsenal. In, in the same week, I'd only been there a week. It was a bit of a shock. It all happened really quickly. Yeah. My debut against Arsenal in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which was a bit of a shock. Um, was sort of warming up with the team, everything, thinking this is amazing. Got to half time and they were like, you're going on. And I mm. just them and I was like, what? I've only been here a week. It can't be that I'm going on. So they put me on. So I sort of run on the pitch, took a breath, looked who I was opposite and it was Beth Mead, who is wow. now going on obviously to win all the stuff she's won at the Euros. So I was literally like, shock. This is just madness. How my life had changed completely in the space of like a week. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, I was doing really well in Spurs, training with the first team. A couple of weeks later, I had a phone call off Gemma Granger, the Wales manager, saying that I'd been called up to my first senior camp. Um, so in fairness, the eight weeks of me moving was all a bit of a, was all a, bit of a blur because everything just happened so quickly. So I went with Wales and I've been in the squad ever since, touch wood. Um, I've, so I've done the whole World Cup qualifying campaign with them. I stayed with Spurs up until Christmas, like I say. And then when Watford came in, went on a dual sign-in. Um, so I was still training with Spurs and training with Watford, but playing for Watford um, primarily because they were in the Championship at the time. So it was a great experience for me, only being 19. Um, yeah. Played with them and then this year they've asked me to stay. So I stay this year as well. But um, that's sort of where I'm at at the minute. We've got a camp coming up if I get picked, hopefully um, September, end of August, September time. Um, and then the season starts with Watford next Sunday. So hopefully this season's going to be a good one and I can sort of push on even more from last year. It's interesting. Um, so one of the things which um, I was going to ask you about there is um, how did you find it as a 12-year-old going into like the under-15s? Because I know um, going back a long time, um, I because I was a wicketkeeper in cricket, I used to play if the older lads got injured I'd always get sort of called up so I did a couple of tours and a couple of tournaments with Glamorgan but I was going like two years before with the older age groups and then I'd end up going with my own age group like a couple of years later like how did you find that because obviously you're going into a group of of players and you know kids that are a couple of few years older than you that's very difficult for a young you know, 12, 13-year-old to do? Yeah. Um, I'm probably one of the shyest people you will ever meet. Um, okay. So I used to, this isn't a joke, but before camps, I used to cry for days on end, um, saying to my mum and dad, I don't want to go, I can't do it, I don't want to go. Um, but I think you get to a certain age and you overcome that. But I think as a 12-year-old going in, I didn't know anyone. And like I say, we didn't realise at the time that, like the scale of what was actually happening. Like we didn't realise it was Wales until I actually got there and seen everyone walking around in kit and I was like, right, okay, this is a big thing. Um yeah. but even from like being in like regional stuff and South Wales stuff, I was always pushed up in age groups. 
So for me, being in pushed up with older kids wasn't that big of a thing. It was more of like the nerves of not knowing anyone and sort of not yeah. knowing the environment and that sort of thing. But for me, it was always a good challenge because I always found playing in my own age group a bit too, probably shouldn't say it, but a bit too easy. So being pushed up with that older age group was a nice challenge for me. Yeah, you don't. Don't be ashamed of it. It's a fact, isn't it? At the end of the day, there's a reason why you were kept going up in the age groups is because you were probably too good for your own age group. Um, it's just a fact of life, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I am interested in the shyness um, to a certain extent because obviously the world that it is these days compared to when I was younger, you know, 25, 30 years ago, is very, very different with things like mental health and anxiety and, you know, all, all the rest of it. Um, like shyness um, goes under the radar. And whilst I wouldn't necessarily class it as like a, you know, a mental health thing, it's not far off. It is um like a crippling shyness can be very very difficult to deal with particularly if like in your situation you have to be around a lot of big groups a lot so whether it's for you know meetings or going to camps and places where you're constantly in groups but also constantly in groups which is you know not necessarily like a group of your friends or your family or your whatever it may be it can quite often be strangers or not just strangers but older peers yeah how do you think football helped you kind of deal with the shyness yeah I think it did I think as a kid I was always shy I would perhaps not to the extreme where it's crippling but I would be I was always the shyer one in situations I'd always stand at the back or not get myself involved in anything I would never speak up in meetings and stuff like that but I think as I got older you sort of you sort of learn that You've just got, once you do it once, it's done and you haven't got to think about it. It just becomes natural. Um, but for me, it was always just taking that first step. Once I do something once, I'm fine. Um, and I think, look, I might have struggled with it a bit when I was younger. I still struggle with shyness now. But you just learn how to deal with it. And being in football definitely helps because, like I say, you're in groups. You see how different people act. You see perhaps a way you've never thought of dealing with a situation you could use to deal with it yourself I think that being in football definitely did help but I definitely say as you get older you learn that once you do something once it's fine yeah I think shyness generally and I think look um I wouldn't necessarily class myself as like a shy person however when I used to be in those situations I used to find it very difficult to integrate and to you know, to get involved and, and be vocal because I was surrounded by not just older kids, but like older kids who were all the best in the, the county or the country at what they're doing. So it is difficult. However, obviously you you, you mentioned you were captain uh, of Wales, that Wales tournament, which you didn't get to do. However, I'm assuming that when you got, either when you go on the pitch, you had a bit of a transformation and you weren't as shy or as you've got older and you've developed as a person and as a player, um, the, you know, the vocal side of you has come out a little bit. Um, so well. I was lucky enough that I captained all the age groups I've played for. So 15s, okay. 16s, 19s I've captained. Um, I think as a player, I'm not probably the most vocal, but I like okay. to think, I say things when they need to be said. 
Yeah. Um, I like to think that I lead by example in the way that I play um, and the way that I perhaps deal with situations. And I think, like you say, as you get older, you learn how to how to conduct yourself in a way that others can follow on the field, off the pitch. Um, I'd like to think a lot of my captaining skills necessarily come off the pitch because I like to think that I try and make everyone feel involved. Like I'd go on camps and think, when I first went in, how did I feel? How would somebody now coming in want to be treated or how would I want to be treated if I was now the new kid on the block? Um, So I think, I think, and as well, by coming from, like becoming familiar with like Jane, the other the other coaches, they put, sort of put a lot of trust in me. Then they could see that I was trustworthy enough to make me captain. So it was a huge honour. But I think that as I got older, people did start to see that I could lead in different ways. I don't think yeah, you yeah. have to lead by your voice. I think you can lead by by the way you act in different ways. I don't think it always needs to be your voice. But I think in football, obviously, your voice is a big part of it. I do think when you're on the pitch, you do need to use your voice a lot. But I like to think that I perhaps led in a slightly different way to what you normally class as a captain. Yeah, and I think um, it's like, like you say, leading by example is a big, big part of that. Um, so I'm interested then. Um, you said like there's Welsh camps coming up. Um, say Wales call up, I don't know, a, a 16, 17 year old girl for the first time. Um, and when you know you're out and you know you're within the camp. Uh, if you noticed that she was on the outskirts and she's maybe a bit shy or whatever, you know, just feeling a bit uncomfortable and, and obviously young as well. How would you go about integrating her into the group or helping her integrate into the group? Would it be like a, involve her in the, you know, like the group conversation a bit more or would it be pull her to one side and say, you know, don't be afraid to get involved? Which, which way would you think? Um, I think my first step, would always to be pull them or just go and have a chat with them myself, um, get to know them a bit, um, sort of find out what they're about a bit. And then, look, on camps you have meal times where you all sit down together. I think that's a perfect opportunity to to sort of, not even if you want to speak, but just sit there and listen in on conversation. You feel involved. I think as, as I learned that myself, like when I first went into seniors, I ne- wouldn't necessarily speak, but just sitting there and listening and, and, and taking in what was happening um, which I think is what you do when you're on your camp for the first time. You're just taking in what's happening, taking in the experience. Um, I think that's a great way to start. You don't necessarily have to speak, I think, just getting them to sit and be involved in the conversation or just listen to a conversation. I think that's a great way to start. And people will start to make an effort with you if you make an effort with them. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think it's um, if you just like speak to people, isn't it, and you find out a bit about them and you ask them about their their club, their life, whatever it may be. I think that always puts people at ease generally, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, couple of quick questions then. Um, so I don't want you to think about these too much, just like quick fire. It's the first thing, first player which comes to your head. Um, in your opinion, who is uh, the best female footballer in the world at the moment? Oh, that's tough. Um, for me, I think Kira Walsh stood out at the, at the Euros. Okay. Um, out of your teammates, past and present, Wales, Watford, Spurs, whoever, um, who is the hardest worker? Um, I'd have to say uh, Jasper Schlock or Sophie Ingle. Okay. And who is the funniest teammate? 
Um, Natasha Harden is quite funny. Um, but then you've got somebody like Helen Ward, who's, who's I think, humour goes under the radar sometimes, but is really funny. Okay. Um, who hates training the most? Oh, that's tough. Um, it, it, I think with a lot of players, it depends on the weather. I think if it's yeah. raining and cold, you're not... It's, someone like Jess Fishlock isn't going to come out, like, full of energy, but I think... She will when she's out. She will train well. So I think it's difficult to name someone who's probably. Yeah. All right. And what about this then? Tell me a difference between men's and women's football that people might not think of. So like not like an obvious one, just a difference that you think, whether it's within the teams, within the squads, or within the game, just anything. Um, I think there's a lot more of a community feel within women's football maybe than there is necessarily with men's I think um, I think players tend to make a lot more time for the fans because we don't get as many I think we appreciate the ones we do get that bit more um, but I also think you you look at something like I probably shouldn't say but in men's football there's a lot of diving I yes. think in women's football necessarily players don't do that because it's, they're just playing for playing Um don't get me wrong, there is some instances where, okay, you might go down a bit easily, but I don't think it happens as much in women's football as it does in men's. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. I I, I agree with all those points, actually, um, 100%. So I'm, I kind of, I like that, obviously, someone who's directly involved within the game thinks the same. Um, interesting. So I think, um, trying to think about when it was. So it was... Back in the day, should we say? I, I'm not sure exactly how long ago, but um, there, I always remember there was these clips going around of women's football. I'm sure it was like a World Cup or, or something, you know, a Euros or a tournament, major tournament. And um, there was a lot of like uh, hair pulling and elbowing and pun punching and pushing. It was like it seemed very volatile and quite physical and and rough. Um, in the games that I've seen over the last few years doesn't seem you know as quite as aggressive as that but certainly um i would say i would guess probably about 10 years ago there was these videos you'd see of like um, i'm sure it was like an american central defender she was having a real set two with this the striker and there was all sorts of um shenanigans going on should we say but it was quite like quite aggressive throughout the game um do you still get like, is there players within the teams that you're playing week to week who are really like, um, like your stereotype, stereotypical aggressive footballer? I guess you do get still get them. I think, um, and I think you need them in teams. I think football wouldn't be the game it is without players like that. Um, look, you come up against a team potentially like a Germany, who like to physically dominate teams. You maybe need a player like that in your team to sort of set set out your stall before the game starts. Or when the game starts, um, just to show teams that we're not going to be as much of a pushover as you think we're going to be. Or, but I think them players still do exist, and I think they are a crucial part of the women's game. Yeah, I think um, you definitely need those players, particularly um, if you're coming up against an opponent who's either physically dominating or maybe technically, you know, a, a better side. It, it's always handy to have, uh, you know, aggressive players. It's just, I guess, making sure it's channeled in the 
you know in the right way so you're not playing with uh with 10 um who's the hardest player that you've played so your teammates again like who's the hardest player you mean like skillfully or like physically uh, no no like physically or aggressively or um, whatever like just yeah your your Roy Keane-esque attitudes um I'd probably say in Wales is Rachel Rowe um okay. in training in games anything she's just going 100% at you whether you like it or not she's just going to be in your face 100% you know it's coming before even before it even happens um she is probably the most physically dominant within Wales, I'd say, at the minute. Interesting. Interesting. Who do you think is the best Welsh footballer of all time? It's got to be Jessica Schlock. Just for what she's done for the game in Wales and and, and the way she plays and trains, um, I just think it's got to be Jessica Schlock. Um, I think Jessica Schlock as well, for like overall influence on women's football in Wales, is... Uh, she's. I think that's. She's one of those players who, in years to come, people will look back and talk about the, the influence and the effect that she's had on the game overall in the in Wales as a country, and I'll hopefully, you know, what will have led to there being lots more girls teams to the. You know, like there's so many boys teams around. Like I live in Cardiff, and there's literally. You have like three teams for each club per age group, yeah. so like that's where I want girls football to be. Yeah, and look, there is more and more girls being you know more interested in football and things like that. Um, it's not quite at the same you know at the same level, is it? In terms of the amount of of most boy without being uh, stereotypical, a lot of you know a large percentage of we'll say of boys play football, want to dream of being a professional footballer. Like how many like when I was so when I was in school again 20 or 25 years ago, there was maybe I can think of one girl, not just in my year, but in like the whole sort of time I was went through primary and high school, uh, who was a friend of mine's sister who was very, very good footballer. And I think unfortunately for her, if she'd been born, you know, 10, 15 years later, she probably would have gone on and played at a high level, but when, you know, in the eighties and nineties, early nineties, it just wasn't there. Um, I forgot my question now, but. I think going back to Jessica Shock, I think if you were to ask any young girls now, who do you know from the Wales women's team? The yes. first answer you'd get is a Jessica Shock or a Tash Harden. Um, and I think that speaks volumes for them in terms of the way they play and um, what they've done for the game. I think they're just so recognisable now for young girls in Wales. Um, compared to the to, to the rest of the team because of what they've done for the game already. Um, I'd like to think in years to come, perhaps us youngsters coming through will sort of have that same platform and they'll be more of Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Plus with that platform, but um, going back to Jessica Shock, I think that's probably why you'd have to pick her, because if you ask a young girl now, who do you know in the Wales team, your first answer you're going to get is Jessica Shock. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I like it. I think it's um, I think it's really, like I said, in years to come, she's and um, Natasha Harden really, they'll people will look back on the influence that they've had on Welsh football. Um, do you think it's in, uh, the grassroots stuff with Welsh teams and clubs and and trying to get more opportunities for girls to play at club level? You know, not academies and stuff like that necessarily, but just club level on a Saturday with their friends. Is that just purely an investment thing? Because I do um, think the volunteers are there, like dads and and mums and and aunties and uncles and the rest of it. The, the volunteers will always be there if the clubs are there. If that makes sense. Um. Yeah, I think I think you also got to look perhaps at the school systems because I think for me, I never played football in PE. Yeah, um, they still they still begrudgingly do it. Exactly. I think this is something that has got to be looked at as if or rugby or why can't boys do dance? I think it's got to be you should have the equal opportunity for all sports. Um, like when I was in school, you'd get if you were lucky, perhaps on a Friday one afternoon, they'd say, right, if I was lucky, you'd go. They'd, they'd go and say, right, go and have a game of football. But then you play and all the girls would just be stood there like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to be playing this. Um, yeah. I'm I'm hoping that going forward that is something that can be looked at and and potentially like implemented within school systems that PE lessons do involve football for girls. Um, but I think the grassroots thing, I think the volunteers will always be there, like you say, mums, dads will always want to, what what's best for their kids, so they will always volunteer to help out or whatever. But I think a lot of the grassroots stuff comes down to the volume of girls you get going. I think yeah. look, you can you can have say my dad amigo. Um, and perhaps a couple of my mates come and join, but you need more than that, unfortunately, to make a team. Um, of course, yeah. And I so suppose I the other thing as well with that is you might get a few of your mates come with you for the first couple of sessions, but a few of them probably drop away because they only came because you were going. Yeah. But when it came down to the actual football, they weren't that bothered. Yeah, I'd like to think when the game, as the game is growing the way it is, and this Euros, like you say, is only going to help that. Um, and our World Cup qualifying campaign and all the stuff that's going on at the at the minute, which is obviously boosting the game and growing the game, I think more teams will will start popping up because, I mean, I've heard of a lot more recently because of because of the Euros and because of the World Cup qualifying campaign. So I think it's only going to be it's only going to get better as the game grows, which I think is something that's going to happen in the not too distant future. Yeah, definitely, one hundred percent. I remembered the question I was going to ask you now, actually. Um, so the Obviously, like I mentioned, the percentage of boys who want to be professional footballers at some point in their childhoods is obviously very high. I'd say, not officially, but like I would say probably as high as like eight or nine out of ten. There's usually only one or two within a class who are not got an interest in football. Um, where do you think that percentage is with girls in terms of, so compare it to like when you were in school? And then maybe hopefully now. I mean, if I was to look at my class in in primary school, I was the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you look at it now, I, another example, I recently went back to my old comprehensive school um, just to pick up a bit of work over the summer where I was helping out with coaching. But I was doing invigilating exams just to get a bit of extra money. So um, I went back and one of the old teachers came on to me and said, um, he's a math teacher, but he used to take on the football team. Uh, Mr. Wilder, I think the school probably owe a lot to him for girls football and boys football in the school because he took it on 
Um, but we used to play, he said, when we used to play games when I was there, he was like, there was you and one other girl who could actually play and the rest would just sort of come to help make up the numbers. You'd have one or two who could perhaps kick about. But he was like, in terms of who you could probably put in a boys team to play, it'd be one or two. He said, now I'm coming in. He said, I've got your sevens coming in um, who all play for teams. So he said, yeah. we can make up a full team of of, act- of, play- of girls who actually play outside of school. He said, which is a good thing to see because he said when you was there, it was only like two or three of you who play outside. Um, but he said it's nice now to see. He said how is how the game has grown over just over like two or three years, where you've had such a big growth in it that now girls are coming in, and he can make a team out of players who play regularly week in week out. So I think that speaks volumes for the grassroots system in Wales. It is getting better in the past in the past couple of years, but it's still got a long way to go. But it is getting better. I think that speaks volumes for it. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like um, your your former school has got a, a good teacher there. Like I know there's some schools in Cardiff which just won't let the girls do football in PE, yeah. which is so sad because I know that there's at least a f- I know there's at least a few, quite a few girls in Cardiff who want to play football because I see them playing for teams against my boys because I got three teenage boys, two of them are into football. Um, the youngest played a game a couple of preseason friendly a couple of weeks ago, and the the Rumney team they played was predominantly girls and then a couple of boys, um, which was great to see. But you also think, on another hand of it, because there were so many of them, you're like, you know, why isn't there a girls team for them to play? Yeah. Not that I didn't want them to, you know, we didn't want them to play, but it was more for their own. Uh, development and and development of the game as as a whole, like this, you got a you know, I don't know five six girls all from the same area. I'm sure there would be a few others from who aren't playing. So why isn't there a team there? But yeah. it, you know, it comes down to funding and 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 things like this. And like you say, things are getting there. It's improving, and you know, this is a big reason why I try to get female footballers on when I can. Like yourself, and we had Charlotte. I've had Charlotte Potts on a few times, and we had Tyler Dodds on, um, and we just because I would like to try and help do my part to push it along and and say to people, look, you know, these girls are not only very good at football; they're intelligent, they can talk, they they've got ideas about how to progress the game. Um, I find I've got to say, and I hope you like, please don't take offence to this, but the fact that you're 19 is remarkable to me. Like you're so um, mature and like your head is so switched on and you speak so well. Like it's really impressive, I've got to say. Um, so it's no surprise that you're a captain, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the World Cup qualifiers. Um, obviously, the men's Wales Cup, Wales uh, team qualified for the Qatar World Cup. Typical Wales thing qualifying for the what's going to be the weirdest World Cup in history. Yeah. Played in like November. That's, that's, that's just a Wales thing, that is. Um but the, the the women's team is uh, second in the group. Obviously, France are kind of uh, running away with it a little bit. They have played eight, uh, one eight, played eight, played eight, one eight. Yeah. Sorry, um, but you slotted in nicely at second place on sixteen points, a couple of points ahead of uh, Slovenia. I think it's two. Do you say two games to go? Yeah, two games to go. Um... Look, we knew going into it that France were going to run away with it. Um, they're a world-class team. They reached the semi-finals of the Euros, so expecting 
to beat them was was always going to be a tough ask. Um, but I think, look, when we played them both times, home and away, we gave them a really good test and we, we put up a good fight against them twice, um, getting two good scorelines against them, 2-0 away and 2-1 at home. So I think we did really get... We, we really good. showed what we could do against them. But um, in terms of the next two games coming up, I think we, we win them, we're in the playoffs. So... Um, we firmly got sort of our sights set on doing that, um, and being the first Welsh women's team to do that would be would be lovely to be a part of. Um, but I think the campaign has gone as we've planned it so far. Um, the next two games, obviously, sort of sort of decide whether we go into the playoffs or we don't go into the playoffs. It would be lovely if the men's obviously qualify and then we qualify. It would be nice for us both to do it in the same year, in the same sort of within a couple of months of each other. But um, yeah, it's gone. It's gone to plan so far, and it's it's looking good. But obviously, we're just taking one game at a time and seeing sort of what comes of each game. But so far, so good. So we just keep our fingers crossed for the next two games. And the last game is in Cardiff City Stadium against Slovenia, um, and we're hoping for a record crowd. Um, we've already broken the crowd record in this campaign, so we're hoping to break it again now in the last game. So to try and get as many people there as we can, we're hoping to break ten thousand. So. If we can get a lot of people there for that game, would be a would be a good thing. Absolutely, and I'll put um I'll put any links to, to like where people can get tickets from and stuff in the description for the episode. Um, so the next game is away. Is that right? Yeah, Greece away. So that Greece are in fourth. So that's going to be you know it's going to be a tough one. They're only three points behind you. Yeah. And so they're still in with a shout. So is it the team top team goes through? And then second team goes into all the second teams go into the playoffs then, is that? Yeah, yeah. Top team top team goes through second teams going to playoff. Um but yeah, there'll be some tough teams in the playoffs. So even if we reach that, it's it's we've got to be on our game to even get through that. But the way we've done so far, I think there's nothing we're all so determined just to do it because we've become so we've come so close in our last two campaigns for the Euros and for the World Cup before. So I think everyone's sort of really determined now just to get to get like to get it over the line so we can sort of qualify for a major tournament. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you said like at the start, obviously the women's game and the men's game is two different things um, for, you know, for a variety of reasons, as in same in with any other sport, weightlifting, gym, whatever, gymnastics, whatever it may be. Um, do you take inspiration as a team from what the men's team has achieved since 2016 onwards? Yeah, I think we've tried to sort of we've looked at what they've done. They've they've qualified for a major tournament. They've grown their fan base so much over the last couple of years, and they've grown the game in Wales to the point where people are saying, "Is it now the national sport instead of rugby?" Um, I just think they've done such a good job for Welsh football, not just boys, but getting girls inspired. Everything. Um, I think we've tried to do the same thing. Um, throughout this qualifying campaign and previous campaigns, but I think now we're starting to reap the rewards um, mm-hmm. for our hard work. So I think if we can just keep that momentum going, and obviously they keep doing their bit, we keep doing our bit, it's only going to benefit the game in Wales, girls and boys. So hopefully, yeah, we, we're just following in their footsteps. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with the um, with the crowds, have you seen a a, a rise? in the crowds when you play for Wales since obviously the last couple of years where Wales, I know you're obviously still young yourself, but like 
over the last, say, 18 months, two years, maybe? Have you seen the crowds grow gradually? Yeah. So, for example, in, in the previous campaigns, we played at stadiums like Newport, Newport mm-hmm. Stadium, and, and you'd be lucky to fill, like, one stand, and you'd be thinking, great, we filled a stand, like, okay. that's really good for women's football. We During this campaign... We played a game in Cardiff City Stadium and we managed to get 5,000 tickets, which broke our record. Um, and even walking out in front of that was just like, or being involved in that and, and seeing all the fans there was just like a wow moment because as a kid, I'd go and watch games or be ball girl in games and you'd think, well, I can be like this one day and there'd be a couple of fans dotted around. But you go into games or being involved in games now and there's like a whole stand for in Cardiff City Stadium and thinking, wow, this is really taking off. We're really inspiring the next generation by what we're doing. And it's only inspiring us more and making us more determined to keep going with the way we're going, with the pushing for the World Cup and, and the way we're doing in the campaign. It's only helping us and pushing us forward. So mm. we'd like to break that 10,000 record because I think that would be a huge step in women's football in Wales. Um But we've just got to keep doing what we're doing and hope that that sort of comes as, as part of what we're doing. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you beat Greece, there's a very good chance that you go into that final game with a massive crowd. You know, and I'm sure it'll be a big crowd anyway because you're going to be in the mix anyway, Yeah. regardless of the Greece results. So it's going to be uh, <coughs> interesting. And, and since this campaign started, I've had, like, family friends that have never watched women's football before. Just because I've been involved in it, I've, I've said, I've come up to me when I came home for, for, the, for my off-season, I had family, friends, and people like around the local area coming up to me saying, "We've been watching your games. We've been watching women's football, and that's a nice thing to know that you've inspired some, yeah, or made someone watch women's football." Um, like there's there's neighbours in the street, for example, went on to my mum and dad the other day saying, we, "We're watching women's football now. Um, we watched all the Euros, which is, which is a lovely thing to hear because the more people you can get on board, this only going to help grow the game and benefit the women's game." Hundred percent. It's uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how it develops over the you know the next few years, women's football generally. But uh, I have a particular eye on on women's football in Wales because I think we talked about it at the start of the show. Like, there's a few steps that I think hopefully we'll see made. You know, professional clubs and things like that. Um, one question I had for you, um, which and you know I'm not sure if you can answer, but I mean you might have an opinion on is do you think women's football would benefit from the professional clubs being aligned? So like, you know, Cardiff men's and ladies, just being Cardiff as a whole, and you've got the first team, the 23s, the ladies team, it's all under the same umbrella, same at, you know, like the big clubs like Manchester United and stuff. The fact that Manchester United have only recently in the last few years had a ladies team, is astonishing to me. Um, but then I suppose when you look at what's going on with their first team, maybe they wouldn't want to be associated with them anyway. But um, no, uh, I only play in. But like, it's. Um, I, did you think that there would be a benefit if all clubs kind of were not forced to have, because I don't think that's the right way, but if you said to like Championship and Premier League clubs, it's advised by the FA, say that you all have a women's team um, and then they're linked together. 
I think in Wales it's going to be a tough ask because there's only really two big clubs in Wales, Cardiff and, and Swansea. One. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cardiff and Swansea, and I think um, that's going to be a tough ask with there being no professional league in Wales. So I think for Wales, you've sort yeah. of take that realistically and think that's something to be looked at in, in the distant future. It's not going to have something to be... But I think in England, if you look at the teams that have invested, um, like your Man United's, like your Man City's, like your Chelsea's, they're, they're reaping the rewards off the women's team as much as they are the men's. Um, and recently you look at teams like Southampton have recently put a lot of money into the women's section. They've They've been promoted, I think it's four seasons in a row, and now they're in the championship, um, and their women's team is thriving, and they and they're one of the str- strong contenders for the championship this year. Um, Leicester, another example, they were promoted and promoted and promoted. Now in the top flight of women's football, um, and they're only they're reaping the rewards from it. So I I don't see for me it's a no brainer for for men's teams to invest, but I think you've got to look at as well if you're going to invest, you've got to give equal opportunity. So I know Leicester have got, like women's have got a lovely training ground. Um, you look at somebody like, for, for example, Birmingham women who got relegated last season from the top flight, they were using like local gyms to do their, and, and they're in the top flight of women's football in the UK. I think if you say you're going to back the women's team, you've got to back them fully in that yeah. you've got to give them all the resources you would give a men's team. So gym, training pitches, um, recovery techniques, tools that you would you would need as a professional player, but um, I think I don't. For me, it's a no-brainer. You back the women's team, you're going to reap the rewards from it. But it's just obviously I'm not an owner of a club, so it's just like it's, I wouldn't like it, my mind perhaps works differently to somebody who's, who's in charge of a club. But for me, I don't see why not. But it's, it's something that's definitely happening because clubs are doing it, for example, Southampton, Leicester, and they are reaping the rewards. So hopefully in the future, more clubs will go down that route. And yeah, I think, and I think yeah, to back that up, I think fans are now sort of seeing it as well and thinking, for example, I think the, what, the main reason Man United um, sort of started up their women's team was because the fans were calling out for it. Um, and that's fans of the men's game as much as the women's game. So I think fans are now starting to see that... Um, the reward of having a women's team is is as high as having a men's team. So I think teams are now starting to form and and have money put into them because fans are calling out for it. So I think it's a combination of everything together. We'll start you will start seeing teams being having the backing that perhaps men's are having. Yeah, and like if you look at just look at the the Manchester United ladies team only formed a couple of years back, and because they've put the funding in, given them the facilities that the men's team and and the 23s or 21s have got, they they have had pretty instant success. And all the teams that you just mentioned, the Sam to the Leicester, etc., the ones who are putting the money in, not you know, splashing money on players, but facilities, they're the ones who are successful. And I think yeah. teams need to to look at around at that. Um, and it's interesting because most Premier League football clubs and most championship football clubs. If you go to their training grounds, there's multiple pitches, multiple gyms, changing rooms. You know, there's enough room for two teams to train, three teams to train. So there's no kind of excuse from that point of view. 
Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's something, I think that's something that, so look, a lot of it comes down to individual clubs and them putting their backing into women's football and getting the sponsors and the, the broadcasters involved, invested in these in these teams, these players and, and building their brands and things off the pitch. A lot of that is down to individual clubs. Of course it is. But I do think that that's something that the FA could address in that, even if it was like a rule, like to get full academy status, you have to have a ladies team. If you say that, because... I know from my own personal experience with my oldest boy how difficult Taft's well worked, how hard Taft's well worked to get full academy status at like the highest level of facilities and grade and whatever it is. I forget the word in for it now. But if you add that in to, to as a condition to get the elite level academy status, then that will naturally grow everything yeah. around women's football and also if you've got elite academy status which feeds ultimately into the men's first team and a ladies team you can also involve girls in the academy which is directly linked to the club instead of the i think a lot of clubs they have like the ladies academy sides for the kids I think you can correct me if I'm wrong because I might be wrong about this. I think a lot of them are done through the foundations as opposed to the actual football clubs. Yeah. Um, so, like, in Spurs, I know, I think, I'm not really sure what age it starts from, but... Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Because I was never involved in the academy systems. I don't really know. Like, the uh, okay. But, but I, I do think it's partly what you said. It starts from foundations and then it hits a certain age and it goes into academy sort of mm-hmm. base football. But, um, yeah, it's only, I think it's only two, three years ago, the Girls Academy League was created. Um, so like that's that's a, that's a big step, isn't it? To get those academy like, levels. Um, Man United, Man City, all playing each other. Like a couple of years ago, that wasn't the case. Um, mm. Now that has been created, I does I do think it gives girls an opportunity um, to study as alongside playing because one of the requirements of being in the academy is you're in um, an education system as well, which I think is a good thing because you look at men's compared to women's football. I think education, you need it as a, as a back for um, more in women's than you do in men's. Um, men's can potentially, you hit, you hit my age in a men's academy system like last year, they're on, what, 40 grand a week? Um, yeah. you, you hit women's, you're not getting paid anything. Um, you, you're, you're, you're doing education alongside to make sure that if football doesn't work or you get a career render in, ended injury or something happens and it doesn't go your way you've got something to fall back on and I think that is a massive um compliment to the women's game that they are pushing that because I think that that should be pushing the boys game more as well yeah that's something which I've been tooting the horn about a lot um over the last couple of years on different podcasts is 
particularly with academy players who either like there's a lot of kids and i think sometimes people don't realize how many kids get into a say for example cardiff or swansea or you know whoever a professional club's academy set at the age seven or eight they stay within the academy system all the way through to under 16 17s and then when it comes to you know are they going to get offered a a professional contract they don't get it but because they've been in the academy system and they've moved through the age groups they've thought that their natural progression is to just go 23s first team but it obviously doesn't work that because when you get to a certain age say 16 17 you're suddenly competing against not just your teammates but the older boys ahead of you in your position because they're already in the 23s or the youth setup plus all the guy, all the other kids who get released from all the other professional clubs because clubs will look at them and oh has anyone missed anyone and things like this so it's not just a natural thing so there's a lot of boys who are just dropping out 16 17 very little school qualifications because they've been training at academies four or five times a week and suddenly it's like oh i'm not going to be a professional footballer what am i going to do and that could be that's a big weight to carry at someone who's 16 17 um, yeah. and i think that the pfa and football as a as a whole needs to do more to support those players to make sure that they you know are not going down a path that's going to be destructive and and cause them health issues and you know obviously worst case scenarios um and this is something i actually i had darren purse who's the Cardiff's under-23s manager in the studio last week. Um, and he's very passionate about doing what's right for the players rather than what's right for him as a as a manager as such. So, for instance, he was saying, like, he doesn't necessarily want, not doesn't want, he'd of course be happy, but if it came to a choice of Cardiff winning the under-23s league or at the end of the season, five of his players get regular first-team spots, then he wants to. He wants five of his players to be regular first team players because he sees that as his job. Yeah, and I think um, we need to get girls academies to that same sort of level where that elite level really, where it's feeding into the you know the first teams, and I guess it's it's moving the professionalism on another step, isn't it? Yeah. And. And a big part of that as well is pay is paying players so that women's footballers who play championship football or or the different the not the Super League if you like yeah is getting making sure that those players if you want players to be professional you've got to yeah. pay them like professionals yeah exactly. so that if you want someone to be professional it's got to be their job then let's pay them enough that they're not having to go and work a nine to five or you know, yeah. whatever it may be. Just so an example of that I can give you is Watford. Um, like we've been paid, but not enough for girls to be able to quit their jobs. Okay. So we have to train in the evenings so that people can work their nine mm. to five jobs, and then they come straight from their job to training, um, which then ultimately affects their training performance because they. Of course. So um, I think like, but that's just the way women's football is, and I think. Like you say, it does need to happen where players are being paid more. Um, 
for them to allow them to not have to work in the day um, or work as much. I'm not saying to stop working completely because you need to be realistic, like I said earlier, of where this situation is, um, but not work as much so they can they can focus a bit more on the football. Um, but there's still a lot of players until a couple of years ago, only I think it was less than 50 percent of the Wales women's team were full time professionals mm. until a couple of years ago. Um, which again speaks that for, for for a national team, you should be having the like all of your team should be professional players. But course, unfortunately, yeah. well, that isn't the case. Um, and I think that's something that needs to be looked at in the next couple of years. But like I say, the more the game grows, I think these situations will sort of resolve. Yeah, I think gradually as the game grows, as broadcasters become more and more interested with you know things like the Euros will help that, of course. Um, and I also I think um, individual players um, building their brands on things like social media and stuff like that will naturally help that, if that makes sense. Because yeah. if the more the more superstars and more stars you've got within the game who are well known to little girls and boys everywhere and and people everywhere, that naturally attracts sponsors and brands and and broadcasters so is it you know hopefully it will grow and just wanted to quickly say as well with the pay thing like we're not talking about like you know what ronaldo's on or whatever like four or five hundred grand a week we're talking about like if you just if professional teams want professional players they want their players to uh behave to to conduct themselves professionally so how about we pay them Professionally, just pay them, pay them a normal wage like that they're getting in their office job or whatever they're doing. People to live on because at the minute people are not getting enough to live on, and then that's why they're having to work another job. Um, So I think you pay them enough to live on, and you will reap the rewards from it. Yeah, and I tell you what else would happen then, um, Morgan, as well is is um, the the standard, the overall standard, which is already good, would go up because. If you've worked a nine to five job doing whatever, you're tired, you're hungry, you're fatigued. The last thing that you're going to go and do then is give a high performance uh, training session or a midweek game or something like that. You know, you might have all the will in the world to do it and you'll do it to the best of your ability and you'll play well and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. But you, you, if, you uh, if you're preparing by all, only doing football you're always going to be at a higher level performance wise mentality wise everything it just in it professionalizes you doesn't it it's um yeah. it's frustrating that, that is to hear that it's still not quite there but like you said at the start of the show we have to understand where we are yeah. we're not quite there yet but we're also compared to 10 years ago miles a miles a long way forward. forward yeah yeah um Morgan, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I really, really enjoyed it. You've uh, you've definitely taught me a few things, um, and I feel like I I feel like I know more about women's football already, which is you know that's good. Um, so just a couple of sort of little questions and stuff, um, which came up. Um, we had one from uh, Craig. He said it must have been difficult with the uh, boys' teams to uh, to know everyone with so many local teams but not so many girls teams we kind of covered that in the during the show really but I, what i will add to that is um one thing i've noticed with 
my 13 year olds team when they were a bit younger so sort of under nines tens is when the girls play they didn't want to tackle them yeah so they would actually like give them loads more room and and because they didn't want to hurt them or whatever it was yeah. it was very strange yeah like, like they didn't quite think they're being you know nine or ten they they just didn't know how to deal with it they didn't know right do i just go in like i would normally go in and you know get stuck in or yeah. do i be nice or be whatever they were trying to do and it's, it's a weird one did you come across that side of it as well um so within my own team no like i say because i've grown up with them so they yeah. were just having me within the team but you'd come up against other teams and you'd have players stand off you a bit because they don't really want to go full force into you and you're thinking just tackle me as you would a boy just mm. just play with me as you would if, as if I was a boy um but you also get which is sad is parents um yeah. making little comments or um you get players like I went back to boys football age 16 um just because that was something not age 16 I was must have been about 14 go went back to boys football um and I hated every second of it because they were a different group of boys to what I'd grown up with. So it was, I'd get them not passing me the ball or um, parents making comments. When I'd nutmeg someone, I'd have a comment off a parent. Oh, what, what are you letting that happen for? It's a girl. Um, and unfortunately, it's sad that it's parents making them comments because I'm yeah. sure if they had a daughter and they were in that situation, they wouldn't they want their like daughter to be treated like that. So it's... It's a difficult one, but um, you do see it, sadly, in women's football still. And I think it is something that with more girls teams coming and the standard improving, I think that it's less and less of it happening just because you're not being put in them situations. So I think um, that's something that has improved, but it does still happen, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, um, parents on a Saturday spoil it a lot of the time. Um, We had game abandoned last year, last year. Because the um, the opponent opposing parents and and players, they just wouldn't stop going on at the ref. Like it got to the point in the second half where the the ref was stopping the game, like literally, and I'm not an exaggeration. Every minute or two, because it was like throwing, and they'd be arguing that oh no, it was the other way, and it was so aggressive, and it was just like you know. If you don't yeah. stop it, we're going to just call it a day because yeah. this is ridiculous. To the point where even their team, the some of their defenders were like telling their parents to shut up and we yeah. just want to play football. Yeah. And it's just, it was embarrassing. Honestly, it was really embarrassing. And um, yeah, and for I, so I can only imagine like some of the comments that you had to endure. And yeah. it must be frustrating for your, for your parents if they come and watch you and they hear that sort of stuff. Yeah. It must well, be, yeah, uh, patient. Followed me everywhere, and I think um, having a brother, um, mm. that was also difficult for them because he wasn't obviously having that treatment. It was just me. Um, but would you be? Would you? Would Would your brother be protected? And and your teammates would they be protective over you when you were playing? Like as a my brother skill? particularly. Um, like I say, he's very we're complete opposites. I'm shy. He's not so shy. He's he'll quite happily. I'm not an aggressive person. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm playing, it's just not my style. He is. Um, so, like, he plays rugby now instead of football, and he likes to physically dominate people when he's playing. Um, yeah. So, if anything happened in a game, he would always be first to, like, come and stick up for me, 
even though he's younger than me, which was nice for me to, to know that I had him there if something happened, he was always there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think my parents found it tough having obviously a boy and a girl playing um, and one of us not having treatment like, like the other one was having. Um, but my mum and dad always just said to me, look, you just go and you show what you can do. And as people say, class will shine through. And, and, and that did, in my situation, luckily that happened with a lot of teams I was playing against where I was better than most of the boys. And that's not me being big headed. That's just me mm. saying that because I played from such, because I was such a young age, I could, I could just do it. Um, and, and a lot of the time y- your ability will, will make people be quiet because you're yeah. just better, than, better than them anyway. So it just makes them be quiet. But yeah, I think they did find it tough, but, like, like they always used to say, just keep going, just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing fine. Um, as long as I was enjoying it, I think that was the main thing. Absolutely. Um, and I think by the sounds of it, your class showed through on the pitch, but also, you know, off the pitch. And I know like um, the members, pigeons who've watched along with us this evening um, have really enjoyed it and have been massively impressed with, like, like I said, just how you speak and, just your general knowledge, just how you conduct yourself. It is, um, it's a joy to behold. I got to be honest, it's been really refreshing. Um, so we'll finish with uh, two questions. Uh, one from Rob. We've got to give him a question. Seeing as uh, he's your neighbour, he said, "What sort of centre back are you, Morgan? Uh, for instance, you're a ball playing defender or a no nonsense centre back?" Um, I'd say I'm probably a ball playing defender. Um... I don't really, to be honest, class myself as a defender. I'd rather be a okay. midfielder, but I always tend to end up being pushed back to centre back. So, um, yeah, I'd say I'm more of a ball playing player. Um, my strength is my my skill. Um, my ability with the ball at my feet is my strength. So, I'd say I'm ball playing. Cool. So that kind of runs in a little bit to my sort of final question, which was my final question was going to be where would you see yourself? Or where would you like to see yourself in five years' time? But before we answer that question, would you like to see yourself in midfield within five years' time? Um, I'd like <laughs> to think so. I'd like to think so. I'd like to think that coaches would stop pushing me back to centre back. But um, look, I'm happy to play anywhere as long as I'm on the field playing. I don't really care where I'm playing. But um, yeah, I'd like to think in in a couple of years' time, I'd be have a couple of girls caps under my belt. Um, would be a nice situation to be in. Um, a professional contract somewhere would be nice. Um, uni finished would be nice because I think that's mm-hmm. that's playing a big part at the minute of trying to juggle both. Um, so I think getting that done would allow me to just focus on my football fully. Um, so in a couple of years' time, I'd say professional contract, a couple of Wales caps, uni finished with a degree. Um, just enjoying football would be would be the main one. Beautifully put. Really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. Um, Morgan, it's been an absolute pleasure and I hope you'll come back and join us um, again one day. Maybe um, next time, well, next time you're home, if you want to pop in down to, to Cardiff Bay and have a chat, then uh, we'll get you in the studio. And uh, hopefully by that time, you'll be qualified for the part of the, the team Cup. who's qualified for the World Cup, which would fit yeah. in nicely. Hopefully, um, yeah. Because the media company, which I who film my podcasts, my in-person ones, um, they do a lot of work with the FAW actually, and for their yeah. YouTube YouTube channel and um, FC Cymru and stuff. So, yeah, that'd be cool. Um, yeah. Morgan, it's been a pleasure, um, guys. Please give Morgan a follow and everything on social media. She's verified. Very, 
very posh. <laughs> Uh, on Instagram, Twitter, all that sort of stuff. Give her a follow, share, spread the word, tell people um, to check it out. And of course, I'll drop. I'll try and find some links to uh, get tickets for the Wales games as well, and I'll drop them in the description below. Um, until next week, ladies and gentlemen, we will uh, bid you farewell. Good night. Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.